It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440, driven by Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. And uh, I believe that's the song that is more famous for the one line, kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. That's the song, right, Declan? Yes, yeah. that is the one. People use that all the time, and they don't know where they got it from. It's Bruce Coburn. It is Bruce Coburn. I don't know if it's most famous for that line, but it's certainly a great line. No, it's most famous for that line. I did the research, and uh, my favorite Bruce Coburn song is called Tokyo. Have you ever heard it? I feel like I must have been passing, but I'll admit, so I'll be the first to tell you I'm not the biggest Bruce Coburn guy in the well, world. Well, I'll tell you. I'll, one day I'll tell you what happened at the Juno Awards in 75 with Ann Wilson from Hart, but we won't do that now. Uh, speaking of kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daylight, I'm going to ask a question of Bruce McCurdy of the Cult of Hockey of the Edmonton Journal, and then I'm going to go out for, I don't smoke, but I'm going to go out and get some fresh air because I know he is going to rant for a little while. McCurdy, offside challenge, go. Yeah, uh, I've never liked it, and I still don't like it. Uh, you know what? The linesmen in the NHL are good. And their judgment of simultaneity has always been good, except for in recent years when we've decided that each second can be subdivided into, what, 30 frames, is it? And so we can pour over those frames like a Zapruder film for five or ten minutes and decide, oh, maybe, maybe there's one frame in between here where we're not sure, but we better take that goal off the board because that was an exciting play, you know, so we better make sure it doesn't count. You know, let's keep the score down, right? These games are getting too exciting for us. Let's take a few minutes off the clock, off the, the real running time, uh, time of day clock while we figure all this out. And for what? Like, what's it accomplishing? It's just that all it's doing is taking goals off the board. You can never fix an offside call that is made in error where the whistle is blown uh, when the play was onside. All you can do is tackle one side of the equation, which takes away offense. And frankly, uh, the, the calls that the linesmen miss compared to the kinds of calls that referees miss on an ongoing basis that can never be reviewed, I just can't make sense of it. It's, to me, it's just um, the NHL thinking, well, other leagues have video review. We better have something, too, because they create controversy, and that's good for us. And it actually stinks for the game. It also, the entire offside rule started with the most damnable offside in the history of the time, and it's yeah. begat this. So as irritated as I was by watching that goal at the time, this yeah. it has it has begat a biblical proportion. Yeah, one long call. Let's yeah. mess up the game for the next twenty years. <laughs> it's true. Here's, here's the thing: you go back and you look at the review of the Matt Duchesne, famous Matt Duchesne offside goal. And what happens on that play? Is the D man fires a long pass. It hits a defender in the neutral zone, goes sideways, hits another defender in the neutral zone, and then bounces through to Duchesne, who's like 10 feet offside. I am, without having interviewed the people involved, I am virtually certain that the ruling on the play was that Duchesne was onside because the defenseman put the puck over their own line, which was the wrong call. It was a mistake, but it's not just a mistake. of He didn't know where the line was. He just thought that because it bounced in off a defender, that legalized Duchesne, and then he went and scored. 
And that's been, just look at that play, and especially the reverse angle. I looked at it again last night because I bring it up every once in a while just to remind myself that I'm not insane. So they, <laughs> the, the whole basis of the change was on a wrong call, but the, was, the wrong call was made for an entirely different reason than the play wasn't offside. Well, if you're insane, we're all insane, McCurdy, just so you know. Uh-huh. So, so I watched the game last night, and for me, it feels like the last two games, even though the Oilers are, are getting their shot share and their their high danger share, it just feels like there, you know, there are games you win at the end of a winning streak when you're not, you know, you're a little bit content and you're getting like bad habits. That when they play a structured defense and five man units, uh, Stuart Skinner's job is so much easier, and I feel like they're drifting a little bit. And and I want your opinion on the orders right now. Um, did they deserve to win the last two games? And are you afraid that this is going to come home to roost in the next little while? Well, uh, I'll beg to differ with your take on shot share when you get out shot 26-15 by Chicago. Uh, that maybe you're not bringing the offensive game all that much. That said, they did put the puck in the net four times, uh, albeit only two of them counted. That third period would have been a lot more comfortable at 3-1 than than 2-1, let's put it that way. Uh, But I thought the Oilers, frankly, played three pretty poor periods last night. And I'll give Chicago credit. They busted their butt for for 60 minutes and, and made it. Well, I don't want to even say interesting because, as a game, that was uh, that was uh, that was pretty ugly. Uh, but you know, they they gave it their best, and the Oilers they were cheating a little bit. Uh, There's not too many forwards coming back hard. There was a lot of forwards flying the zone. Uh, there, you know, there was um, uh, uh, certainly bad habits that have crept into the game, and the hope is that. Having survived that game, just look at the silly grin on Darnell's nurse's face. That's the final buzzer win. He's sort of congratulating his teammates. And you can see he knows it. They know it. They got away with one there. And hopefully they'll go into Detroit and say, well, we need to be better because they need to be better. You can scare yourself straight, I think. And we we know because human nature is that when things are going well, you start to you know think you're maybe invincible a little bit. But I, you know, there, there was, there was a creep of, of, you know, those wayward passes. Uh, you know, McTavish said one time, you know, everybody thinks he's Gretzky. And, and I just, I feel it and I, I want to yell it from the rooftops, but, but it, it also feels like they're winning and, and, you know, uh, they have such talent, Bruce. They can win games that, that maybe they, they don't deserve to. Yeah, well, since Christmas, they've played six games. They've scored 24 goals and allowed eight. You know, so I'm thinking they're probably doing something right. And and yet, you know, the, the visual evidence from the last two, the Ottawa game, definitely they deserve to win. They, you know, they outchanced, outshot, out everything to Ottawa, even as it was not a clean game by any means, but they were the better team. Last night, I'm, I'm not sure of that at all. And thankfully, their goalie, uh, Stu Skinner uh, came up with a, a very strong performance. I thought he should have been the first star. Of yes, the I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit, Bruce, about the top two lines. And we know that eventually Evander Kane and maybe even Connor Brown are going to come back on that dry side of line or make their presence felt in the top six. But I I, I compared the, the McDavid 
Hyman Nugent Hopkins line to the old 7071 Esposito Cashman Hodge line. And at even strength, the 71 Bruins line is still outscoring this particular line, but they're also, um, so strong. I, I just can't see the logic of breaking up the McDavid line. Can you? Well, uh, McDavid unit, uh, it's a five-man unit for the most part, and they're just crushing it. They have the puck on their stick all the time. And, you know, they're generating like 70% of the shots. And, and uh, uh, it, it, you know, it's and we're seeing more of this in the NHL. We're seeing it in Vancouver right now where they have their three best forwards playing with their two best defensemen. And they're winning just because they're crushing it in that portion of the game uh, to uh, – uh, you know, they're always, you know, a couple of goals ahead before you take the rest of the team into account. And so, no, I would not mess with that strategy for, you know, for a long time while it's working and until, you know, something changes. I think someone gets banged up or, or uh, uh, you know, the team has a has a fall of fortunes. And I will give um, Knobloch credit for one thing. He broke up that line for one game and it didn't work and he went right back to it. He didn't sort of say, well, now we're going to try this new thing for a while, even though it didn't work. He just sort of went, nope, I want to have that in my hip pocket that I'm going to, you know, play this line for 15 minutes and we're probably going to come out of that chunk of the game up by a goal or even two. The uh, the next question is sort of been answered, but I want to ask it anyway. Uh, the pairing of Matthias Ekholm and Evan Bouchard are two three in five on five shots against twenty three point one for Ekholm and Bouchard twenty three point three shots against per sixty at five on five. Aside from the the Ekholm pass to McDavid, which was brilliant last night, and we've seen Bouchard so good with the puck on his stick. These guys are suppressing offense, uh, and and it is a part of a five man unit. But my goodness, is it ever interesting to watch these guys? Uh, at that level, among the best, really the best pairing in the NHL, if you consider both of them at two and three, uh, Oiler fans should be very excited about this pairing. Uh, yeah, and I think mostly we are uh, excited about this pairing. There, you know, there are some that will split hairs here and there about how it could be even perfecter. Uh, but it's, I mean, they could not have mail ordered uh, from Warner Brothers Acme Company, a better partner for Evan Bouchard than the one they brought in from Nashville last spring. That was, that was a brilliant stroke. And uh, he, uh, the arrival of Ekholm and the departure in the same trade of Tyson Berry to open up the power play, that was a, the, the, I would say, singular turning point of Evan Bouchard's career. Uh, as an Edmonton Oiler to this point, and uh, he is—he uh, has just been crushing it since. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Is there another move like the Ekholm move out there for the Oilers? And if so, where would you put your chips if you're going all in and you're moving Broberg in the first and Lord knows what else? Where would you put your? Would it be right defense? Would it be another goalie? Would it be a two-way winger, or would it be a third, fourth-line center, Bruce? Yeah, that depends on what it is you're planning to do with Ryan McLeod. Whether you're looking for a 3C or a top six winger, it depends on which one you think Ryan McLeod projects to be going forward, which he was looking pretty darn fine to me as a 3C uh, that was starting to score. But since they put him up at uh, on two left wing, that second line has been going gangbusters as well. And so, but it does leave a weakness in the bottom six at the at the three 
C position. Um, and I'm not sure how much you'd have to trade, frankly, to uh, to address that. I mean, last year they brought in uh, uh, Nick Duke's dad. As, you know, he checked a whole lot of boxes. Terms, you know, he was huge, uh, aggressive, right shot, could win face-offs, played center or wing, which we only saw him at center, could kill penalties, you know, and he did all of those things. And they may target, you know, some kind of of player like that that that, uh, that checks off the weaknesses that, uh, uh, that exist on the current team but doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Uh, ultimately, you know, you, I guess you could throw in your chips and try and find a top six winger who's, you know, got a real positive offensive upside and, and uh, uh, move McLeod back to uh, 3C and see how, you know, that's one alternative. Uh, one thing I would conclude is that they don't desperately need, a, well, certainly not a number one goalie anymore. Like, you know, two months ago, you're looking at the team and think, well, nobody's stopping any pucks. we got to get a not only a goalie, but the goalie. Well, that guy has reemerged right within the team. So uh, there's still, I still have concerns about the backup position. And with the schedule so tough and, you know, 36 games in the last 10 weeks of the season, they're going to need two working goalies throughout that span. But, uh, again, I'm not sure that you have to give up Broberg in a first to get a guy to do that. So I'd rather keep Broberg, uh, truth be told. Me, me too. I... I... The reason is because we don't know what he is. And, right. you know, he's a Bruce, he's a big Swedish defenseman who can skate. And he was a raw skill when he got here. But he's played. And when he plays, like and in the NHL, although he plays sheltered minutes, he's looked good. I just think there's a danger there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. We still don't know what he is, and I mean, we're at the point now where this is his draft plus five, and his ELC is running out. Uh, but uh, chances are that, in, you know, they, they, obviously they still have his negotiating rights, and they're not going to have to pay him, you know, a big, huge speeding bridge contract based on what he's accomplished up thus far. And I'd rather know what they have before. Uh, before giving up on him, unless the return is just so great, and you know he's part of a part of a package that brings it back. So, uh, but I, I would be reluctant to part ways with uh, with Broberg. Odds that the uh, Ken Holland in the final months of his time, uh, we assume as Oilers general manager, makes a very loud noise, an Ekholm kind of noise at the deadline. How do you do? You think that's a possibility, probability? Uh, well, certainly possible, but they're pretty limited by their circumstances you know there's not much they there's not much they can easily move out that will create the cap space to bring someone on and that you know that is a that's a that's a big limiting factor they don't have a lot of cap space they've only got like one expiring contract of you know of a a mid-level player in fogel at a mid-level salary 2.75 but all of the big contracts were locked in for uh, at least next year, and uh, uh, many of them for several years, and and the ones that would be desirable to uh, other teams in the league are the very ones the Oilers would not want to give up on. So there's uh, there's very very limited uh, space uh, for them to uh, you know open up. Not like last year when they moved Barry. Well, they moved out a guy that had four and a half million left for one more year, and they got back a guy with six million left for mm-hmm. three more years. 
well, who's the guy with four and a half million left that you're going to move out? Is it Cody Cece? And still, if there's a difference between him and the guy, like lots of people say, Chris Tanna, well, let's say you could work out a deal there. You're still going to have to find cap room to fit the larger contract uh, on the team. And uh, just the the room to um, to stick handle to make that work is very, very tight. So, uh, right they may pursue it, but it's going to be tricky. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the end of the Journal. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you always. Thank you, Alan. Great song, by the way. I Bruce Coburn. Love it. Oh, man, me too. All right. There you go. There's McCurdy. Big fan of Coburn. Underrated guy. Like, really smart lyrics and, and melodies and uh, production values are really good. That's all I wanted to say. Okay, there's there's been breaking news on our show, and we have mentioned it, but we're going to drill down on Pete Carroll's exit from the Seattle Seahawks. You know, he's got a hell of a resume, and they've moved on. We'll find we'll we'll talk about why and what they might be thinking in the Pacific Northwest, and we'll do that next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440, driven by Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event, no payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. And is that Paula Abdul? How was Paula Abdul? I, I, what year was that a hit? Oh, man. Like, mm. if I had to guess, 93. Okay. Could be because way off, though. I might have bought that record. Like, that's how old it is. Have you heard a song called All Mine by Kelly Yukis? I have not. Maybe I have, but uh, the title doesn't ring a bell to me. Red Moon and Venus is the album. I got the, my daughter sent me that. It's such a good song. Maybe I'll send it to you and you can say, no, Al, you can't play that. So we, we promised we were going to talk about it because I think it is a big deal. And we, you know, we want to respond as quickly as we can because that's radio. So Pete Carroll gets fired. Uh, or is going to be. And Bone says, you got to have done a lot of weed to move in from, move on from Pete Carroll. And I say, not necessarily weed. You could do edibles. Low tide. Edibles are weed. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Oh. So if I say I've never done weed, but I've done edibles. You'd be a liar. I'd be a liar. You'd be a big liar. Wow. Oh, yeah. Have you just been dosing this whole time and we didn't know? <laughs> no. no. It's, a, it's an ongoing joke with my kids because I'm, I'm like, I am just, I am 62 and I just am not a, not a guy who does that. I'm, uh, but, but I have plenty of bad habits, but, uh, that's not one of them. Well, no, you know, but I, it's like when I say I don't do weed and then, but I, I, you know, I crown royal bottles back to the seventies. So. <laughs> Six of one, half a dozen. <laughs> yeah, kind of like. So anyway, Pete Carroll, um, I, I'm not a fan of him Like as a fan of football. He, he irritates me, I admit it. But I also have to admit that, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. He's been to two of them. He won four Rose Bowls. His record with the Seahawks is like, it's it's kind of like the Eagles the last, you know, decade plus. Ten of his 13 teams have made the postseason uh, advanced to the division around seven times. So that's like half of the time he's been there. He's in the division final. Won two NFC championships, one Super Bowl. And he also won four Rose Bowls. So, like, as a coach, 
This guy is his. I'm not saying it's the best resume ever because hoodie, but it's really strong for his era. Incredibly strong for his era. And one of the things about Pete Carroll is I think there are off the top of my head, three coaches in the NFL right now who are synonymous with their teams. You have Bill Belichick with the Patriots. You have Mike Tomlin with the Steelers. And I think Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks belongs in that conversation as well. Pete Carroll has maximized his talent in these past couple of years. Like they were a playoff team last year. They just missed the wild card team, wild card game this year. If things had fallen their way, they would have been there. And he is doing this on the back of Geno Smith as his quarterback. And I'm not here to poo poo Geno Smith because he's, you know, I know he was a Pro Bowl selection last year. He had a bit of a career, career revival, got a three year deal, deal from the Seahawks. But Geno Smith is not a quarterback that carries coaching. Geno Smith is a quarterback that gets carried by his coaches. Mm. And Pete Carroll was the guy who maximized Geno Smith's talent. I don't think two back, two nine and eight years back to back with a playoff appearance with Geno Smith as your quarterback is grounds for a firing. And I get if you want to, you want to start things completely from the bottom and build up. But the reports that are coming out are that they want Dan Quinn, who's Dallas's defensive coordinator. Wow. Dan Quinn had spent time with the Seattle Seahawks, but it was a decade. It was two stints actually. One was about a decade ago. The other was back in 2009, 2010. Dan Quinn is a guy who has only had two two winning seasons in his career as a head coach. I, we all know he made that Super Bowl against Atlanta, but the play calling things fell apart for them. They ended up losing it. Dan Quinn, what he's done with the Dallas defense is fine, but it's a lot easier to look good with the defense when you have Micah Parsons, when you have you know Trayvon Diggs, who's a ball hawk. I know he didn't play much this year, injured, but Deron Bland, who's also a ball hawk, had nine picks this year. It's easier for those guys to make you look good. I don't know what Dan Quinn can do coming into this team if you want to have some kind of culture reset that you couldn't at least start off with Pete, with, with Pete Carroll. What I would have done, I would have groomed, groomed one of my assistants, whether it be the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whoever it has been, someone who knows the system, someone who knows the culture, someone who knows the organization and have them take over when the time is right. And maybe that's a couple of years. Sure. But Dan Quinn is a guy who hasn't been there in a decade plus. He's coming in there. He's coming into Seattle if he comes in from a completely different defensive system. And this is an organization that now, even if Pete Carroll stays on as an advisor, I think is directionless because this is a guy who I think a lot of people thought was untouchable. And like I said, synonymous with the organization. They have now lost that identity. Where do they go from here? How do the young guys in the team and some of the quote unquote franchise players, the Devon Witherspoons, the, you know, DK Metcalfs, if you want to put him in there, the Kenneth Walkers, how do they get behind a new coach when they know a guy who was supposed to be the cornerstone of the franchise can be let go at any minute? And I say let go at any minute because he signed a five year contract extension back in 2020 that was going to keep him with the club through 2025. I don't get the move. I don't like the move. And I'm not sure what Seattle's looking for in the future here. So I'm going to make a prediction. Because something will come out, it always does. And it'll be, we had um, irreconcilable differences. Or the coach wanted to, you know, uh, uh, take on more of, or the manager wanted to have more of. It's always like that. Because this does seem like we've got a guy with a great resume, uh, wildly popular. The fact that I like don't like him means nothing. Who cares? And he has he's done well. And I think he's been reasonably popular and so popular with his players popular with the front office and here's another thing he did a radio interview on monday he said he plans to be coaching the team next season he also said in his post-game press conference after week 18 
clearly this wasn't in his plans unless he no. was just lying, which it, maybe he was. But why would you say that? Why not say I'm looking to take on an advisory role and hand the reins off to a younger coach who can take over the franchise and lead us into a direction where maybe I've stalled out the past couple of years? Why not say that? If you did truly plan to be coaching this team next season, which I think he did, I think this comes as a shock to everyone. And I think the advisory role is a little bit of a, hey, you've done a lot of good st- stuff for us. We don't want to kick you to the curb. Stay in the front office with us. But I don't get the move. I think it's I, 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 I think Pete Carroll is a great coach, and I don't think there are too many head coaches who are going to come in and maximize the talent on that team to a higher degree than what Pete Carroll did these past two years. Do you think there's time for him even now to trade Julian Love to the Eagles? No. Okay. Sorry. That was my only request. I would I like, like him Julian then. Love. I like Julian Love. Pro bowler this year, actually. No. He shouldn't have made it over um, a- Antonio Winfield, but still a good safety. I would like him. I would like him for the Eagles, if you could, you know. Arrange that. That would be really nice. Brian asked, this is a young man who agrees with me. Thank you, Carol. Great coach. We we talked about this low tide when we talked about Belichick and how we maybe thought the Patriots, you know, the plans, excuse me, were to let him go. But then we say, ah, oh, hey, maybe the grass isn't always greener. This seems like the exact same scenario to me. And I know Pete Carroll is not a young man. He's 72. He's been coaching for a while, but he's accomplished everything. He's The proof is in the pudding. Also, 72 isn't old for a coach. No, I mean, you can coach. Uh, you know, it's not young. It's not young. But you can, it's, you can, it's not like you're out there getting look, your I'm knees I'm 10 years away from play. that. Could we not say, you know, he's too old? I'm not saying he's too old. I'm just saying, you know, I'll take it back. I'll retract. I'll retract. But the, my point being is, even if you wanted to go in a younger direction, I just don't think you can get a guy in there who can be, who can mesh with the franchise the way Carroll has. I would have had, I would have had him stick around to direct one of his young assistants to take over the position. I know I said that already. I lost my train of thought a little bit, but that was the point I wanted to arrive at. <laughs> See, that's how I know you're young, because you had the presence of mind to tell people where you were going. At my age, I just keep talking. Okay. I just go around the mulberry bush three, four times till I get it. It's like looking for an exit on the highway. Yeah. Well done. Who, who's the like? Who's the oldest coordinator in the NFL? That's a great question. Uh, how, off the top of my head, I'd have to look it up. I don't know who the okay. oldest coordinator is. Right. I'd have to look it up. Because I, I just, you know, like... Hoodie's got to be in his 70s, but uh, there's got to be an offensive coordinator. There has to be, or a defensive coordinator who's like 87, you know, and, and, and you know, he sits in a chair that, that was invented in 1948. Football's always like that. Football is like pretty established once you get somewhere, and if you have success, you're never going anywhere. If the Flyers start losing now, I think Torts will be gone. Remember, teams hire guys like Tortorella because the owner likes that. You know, Columbus Blue Jackets. If there's a hard ass anywhere, if they could get Orville Tessier to coach that team, they would. And there's a sense of these guys are getting away with something. I, you could, I, I always know the owners who are like convinced that the modern players are soft. And Lee Fogelin, you know, he had a toothache and he pulled it out in the Buffalo, you know, hotel room so he could play the next day for the owners and he needed his sleep. They're, the owners love that stuff. And so I think that's why a guy like Tortorella is always going to be, you know, employed. And maybe it won't be Tortorella or, you know, it definitely won't be Orville Tessier. But there's always going to be guys 
like that. There just is. I always thought the best way to do it is if you have a player's coach, you know, a guy who the players love, and it doesn't work out, then when you let go of the player's coach, you hire the exact opposite. And I learned that from George Steinbrenner when he was a coach of the Yankees. I couldn't apply it because I never owned a team. I mean, I I played rotisserie baseball, and I played uh, APBA baseball, and I played that little football game where you push the button and the light would light up on the field and tell you if you had a touchdown. I used to run the draw draw play because my brother would always blitz, (laughs) and it would always end up at a touchdown. Those were the days. Are you a good video, like, Madden player in football? I, no, I wouldn't say I'm great, but I'm probably above average, and I, I enjoy playing it. But I'm not, like, a competitive. I don't go out there to try and win a bunch of online games or tournaments. I just do it for fun. But Are I'm, there still coaches who get mad at players for playing that too much as themselves? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I remember that being a thing, like, we gotta we got to be monitor as ours on that damn Madden game, you know? Also, I looked it up. Uh, Todd Moore, who's an offensive assistant with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is the oldest coach. He's 83. See? And you know what? I bet he's a hell of a coach. And I bet he can tell you, stories. Did you watch the Bucks this season? I bet he isn't. Well, I'm going to watch them Monday <laughs> night yes, because my Eagles have to play Monday night. All right. And that guy's 83. You should play during the day so he can get his sleep. <laughs> Point taken. They made the playoffs. All right. Tampa Bay had no space at the trade deadline. Were there two cups where they went ahead and made deals and won cups? Uh, one guy that people are asking about today, and I don't have an answer for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up so I can say I don't have an answer for you. Evander Kane. Uh, look, I don't, he's missed practices. He doesn't look a hundred percent, but, and this is the argument that I always have with people. You know, when, when people go, you need a tough guy in there. I always say what? I say, that's fine. Get a tough, policeman type a guy who's a complete you know wreck in there and just can can train wreck another guy like evander kane did with matt kachuk go ahead and do that but what does he have to do he has to be able to play he has to play in the big parts of the game and he has to be good at what he does so let's just look at evander kane and let's look at the numbers on natural statric and let's see what he's doing okay he's scoring at a point eight per 60 at five on five there's nothing wrong with that and he's scoring, that's that's goals, 0.8 per 60. And then overall points, 1.72. Okay, it's not fabulous, but it's certainly good enough if his goal share is also good enough. And that's right now the the issue with Evander Kane. His goal share, and of course a lot of this goes with the earlier part of the year, but his goal share is at 40, 40, 41%. Now, since the, the change, it's been better. But the reason he's not on that line and the reason that Connor Brown's not on that line is because they didn't work well together. If you take Evander Kane's numbers away, like if you just take the number that, that he doesn't play with Connor Brown at five on five, I believe last time I looked, he was about 50%. That's the issue. So you can blame Evander Kane. You can get mad at Evander Kane. But when he's away from Connor Brown, at last I looked, he was around 50%. So what I'll do is I'll look it up in the break. And then, do we have anything we're doing in the last hour, last uh, segment, sorry? We've covered all our bases. We've done rumors. We've done an Oilers recap combined with headlines. We had our two guests today. We can do whatever you'd like in we've, the last We segment. found out I exposed the, the fact that I don't know a thing about dope, so it's all yep. good. Yeah. That, well, that could, be, that could be a whole next segment in itself. 
<laughs> All right, it's the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. We're driven by Wolf GMC Buick. Who is that? Low Tide. That's Mariah Carey. Is she good? Yeah, she's all right. Is Mariah Carey the one that said, I don't know her? Yes. Oh, my God. It, she was. One of my all-time good, favorite good moments. Yeah. I like all of them. I like Rihanna. I like Mariah Carey. I like, um, do you like J-Lo? Yeah, she's all right. I don't okay. know. I'm not listening to listen to her listening to her too much. Sorry, I got distracted by Connor Halley's glistening eyes here out of the corner. He's a good looking uh, man, great looking guy. You know, I mean, he's married person. now, so it's all over. But yeah, I'll I'll cut the eye talk. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, you know, guys taken. That's it. If you're looking for something to talk about, does it sound like we need something to talk about? I think we've done pretty well here filling we, up the airspace. I think we've done okay. I think the reason that was asked is because you asked if we'd cover all our covered all our bases. I said we have. Oh, so, I see. Know, okay. It creates right. a line there. This yeah. is Jordan. If you're looking for something to talk about, how about the great Austin Matthews? He'll be in town Tuesday. I'm sure everyone excited to see the greatest goal scorer ever, Jordan the Leaf fan. He is a great, great player. Uh, I, there's one of the things that kind of I guess you see a rodeo and then you see a rodeo again, and you you the second time you see it you go okay I'm not falling for this. People get so upset about this guy's better this guy you know Austin Matthews is a great great hockey player, and his release is bossy esque. It is so damn good, and for him to be able to play at that level is fantastic. And if he was healthy all the time, then I may be able to extend a conversation that talks about the greatest player in the game now. I don't think that is the case with Austin Matthews because he's not healthy all the time. But if he scores 75 goals in a year or does something outrageous, then we have to revisit that. And he has won a Hart Trophy. Austin Matthews is a great, great player. Christmas is over. You can let Mariah Carey rest now. Well, I, I only thing I ever objected to her was wasn't she the one who would do the the vocal histrionics and go up and down and do the scale? She was. Song? Yeah, yeah, she very famously did that. Yeah, I, I I love her voice, but I would like it just to stay with the song. You know, I feel like I'm being critical of a great artist, and I'm just a dummy for doing it, but. Do you think Kane is still happy being an oiler? I think he's frustrated that he's on the third line. But I I believe the Edmonton Oilers had to do it because he and Connor Brown were not helping that line. And maybe they should have kept Kane on the line. I don't know. And maybe that's Kane's point. But he'll get a chance. But if he's not good enough, then he shouldn't play. If he can't, if, if Ryan McLeod's being more productive at that position with Leon than Kane then it doesn't really matter how upset Evander Kane is. That's the way of the world, to borrow a line from Earth, Wind, and Fire. I, I value Kane. I think Kane is a very good player. Every time Low Tide mentions rotisserie baseball, it makes me hungry. That's my contribution for today, Rob the Landscaper. Rotisserie chicken, I think he's probably thinking about, right? Yeah, no, I'm hungry. Are we ever going to see the 11-7 run again? I don't think so. Do you think there's anything left in Phil Kessel? Sure, he'll have a productive life. He'll go about his business. Rich man. He'll be now as a hockey player. I, I think he's on the last chance, Texaco. But 
Last night's game is inexplicable. Right, Tide? It makes no sense whatsoever. You take the win and move forward from Coach Mike. Absolutely. Bruce McCurdy is a beauty. I love you, Bruce. As much as I love Darko, did you see what he did last night in the postgame? Raptors coach, did you see that? Oh, of course. And he has wow. every right to be that fired up. Wow. What happened? Sorry, that's how fired up I got talking about Did Darko's you break Raptor. something? No, I didn't break we anything. Can't, we got to pay for the breakage on I this ac- show. I accidentally flipped it up a little bit when I was scooting over my chair. But no, listen, I'll, I'll make I this I can't brief. afford this. I got to take out another mortgage with you breaking stuff like no, that. No, everything's fine, and I'll right. pay for it. Don't worry. Sure you will. Yeah. You I know. mean, we share a bank account, so it's really your money, <laughs> but I don't mind. I would, I would never share a bank account with anybody younger than me. <laughs> That's the only stipulation? Yeah. I so shared a bank account for 40 years with somebody older. It went well. <laughs> I'm not going youth. To hell with everybody. Besides, I need money for pepper. So edibles are pot. They are. All right. Yeah. What did you think they were? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't know okay. any of this stuff. You know, like I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I grew up in a time of alcohol. <laughs> Maybe that's the name of my book. My next book will be called I Grew Up at the Time of Alcohol. Oh, dear. Okay. I, I I will say this. I think Evander Kane is a productive player. And I looked it up because I wanted to. And I can do it because I have time during the breaks and things. Um, and, and when he's with Connor Brown... Like things happen, and it's like they're both they both have injuries, so it's not like he's a healthy Connor Brown and a healthy Evander Kane. So what, what we're what we're doing here is we're looking at a period of time, dark days for the Oilers, dark days for both of these men. It was tough. There's no doubt about it. But with Connor Brown, two goals for and nine against, two goals for and nine against at five on five earlier in the year, Evander Kane and Connor Brown. They played together since, but it hasn't been as tragic as it was. So that's, that's pretty tough. So two and nine, he's 16 and 15 without him. I believe that's correct. I'm just trying to do math while I'm talking. 16 and 17 without him. So he's around 50%. So Evander Kane without Connor Brown is about 50% outscore. And I'm sure his, his points per 60 are also higher. So. I think Kane probably has a point, but if you're the coach and you've had the courage to put him down a line and Connor Brown a line, you're likely going to have the courage to keep McLeod and Fogel there as long as they're productive. And if you want to know how productive they are, well, I'll tell you. The McDavid line at 5-on-5 this year in 216 minutes has a 29 21 to 9 goal share, 70%. They're averaging 5.81 goals per 60. That is a screaming number. In 78 minutes with Fogel and Ryan McLeod, Leon Dreisaitl owns a 77%, 10-3 goal share in basically not even an hour and a half. These lines are pumping, man. If you're the coach, you need a really strong reason to break them up. Now, they'll cool off. Everybody does. Even the earth did after a while, based on what we are told. But I would run this nag till it drops. 
And Evander Kane may be upset, and he may not like it, and his body language may be poor, and none of that matters. He'll get a shot. And I know people are saying, well, what about the play? Well, okay. But again, I've always said this. I've never, ever wavered from this. I understand that you need a bully, and Kane has been effective at that. But you also need a guy who can be on an outscoring line who contributes offensively. Evander Kane has done that, even this year, when he's not with Connor Brown. And he's been injured a little bit. And last year, he didn't, but he was injured. I mean, I think that Evander Kane, I, I hope we can all agree, that Evander Kane has been, at times, an effective player for the Edmonton Oilers. In 21-22, he had a 64% goal share. Last year was off because he was struggling. And this year is off partly because he's playing with Connor Brown. And both of them were struggling because of injury. In Connor Brown's case, it was coming off of an injury, but it certainly had an impact. And in his first year at Edmonton, Kane was 2.2 goals, or 2.2 points per 60, and 1.06 goals per 60, 131 goals per 60 last year, and 196. If you're going to play... As a big man who's an enforcer and an intimidator, you have to be able to score and outscore. And not always due to injury, but Evander Kane has met that challenge. By the way, Raphael Lavoie has been named to the AHL All-Star team. Do you ever, do you ever like want to tell people what I'm doing while when I turn my mic off, do you ever want to say, what are you doing over there? Because I do it to you all the time. Right. Yeah, no, I think if I did it to you, it would be a little bit disrespectful. It's your show, so I'm not okay. going right. to put point light to that. Just so everybody knows, a second ago, I had a uh, I had a coffee, and I had been uh, drinking the coffee, and a just a little, like, one of the leftover pieces of the coffee was in, and I had to spit it out. So it made a funny sound, which I'm sure you heard. Maybe you didn't. Weird stuff. Weird stuff going on. This trade's going down. The the dub, when is the deadline? Because there's been like 15 trades while I've been on the air today. Yeah, well, the the Oil Kings have been active in the past couple of days. Here. Yeah, they have. They've been, they've been active the last couple of weeks. They're going. Yeah. No, they have. Yeah, I like it. All right, how many? How much? How much time do we have? Low tide. I was gonna hit the intro, hit the extra in about a minute, but I can do it now. If you no, like. no, that's fine because okay. I want to. Talk, Keith Olbermann, three hours ago, Pat McAfee announces that Aaron Rodgers won't be making any more appearances on the show during the NFL season, and Keith Olbermann says, "Just like with the Jets." <laughs> I love Keith Olbermann. Do I have time for a really quick story? You got to make it quick, but okay. we can get it in. Uh, National League expansion draft. Colorado and Florida are having the expansion draft, and it's live on ESPN. And Bill White is the National League president, and he makes an announcement. The Colorado Rockies have, have uh, drafted David Need uh, from Atlanta. And Keith Olbermann is close enough to the, the actual stadium where Bill White is saying it. He goes, that fills a need for Colorado. And Bill White, as he says, that fills a need. Bill White says to Keith Olbermann, what? I cracked up. It was very funny. 
I mean, it's not funny now, as I tell you, but at the time, hilarious. All right, that's it. I enjoyed today very much. I really like coming into the studio. Declan's a great guy. It's a beautiful studio. There's wonderful people here. They smile at me and go, geez, that old guy's still here. And I think they probably think I'm technical or something like that, but I'm really not. But I do enjoy my time. Jason Greger is on the way next. Talk about that Oiler game, curious one last night, and about what's to come against Detroit. Thanks for tuning into the Lowdown. Please enjoy your day. It's time for an update.